text for this morning's sermon is Luke 1, 46 through 49. Luke 1, 46 through 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we consider Mary's song and her worship to you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to consider our own hearts Uh, Father, I would just pray that You would keep us from assuming the best about our hearts, but that we would honestly let Your Word uh, expose us that we might come to You for mercy. Uh, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin by asking a question. That question is, is, does your worship ever seem weak, cold, or empty? And when I say worship, I don't mean just the songs we sing, but this is the thing we're called to as uh, human beings created in the image of God. Our highest calling this morning, we're going to be discussing the very thing we're created for. We're created to worship the Lord. And my question is, is does your heart, maybe even this morning, feel cold, weak? Is there ever times where you're concerned about your heart? Well, we're going to look at this song that uh, Mary uh, proclaims that comes out of her mouth, her worship to the Lord. Uh, We're going to look at part of it this week. Uh, This is uh, most famously known as the Magnificent, which is the Latin interpretation of the first verb in the first sentence, uh, Megalino in the Greek, Magnificent. In the, in the Latin. And it's about magnifying the Lord. So as we look at this text and Scott read Hannah's song, uh, Leon Morris says this in comparison to the two songs. There's a lot of similarities, uh, in it, but here's what he says. Hannah's song is a shout of triumph in the face of her enemies. Mary's a humble contemplation of the mercies of God. So in a sense, they have a little bit different tone. Both of them are beautiful. Both of them are right. You see this in the Psalms. The victorious excitement is triumph over your enemies. That's Hannah's song. As Hannah's being mocked, she's not able to have children. Mary's song, this Worship has a tone of humility 
has a tone of being humbled by the mercies of God. And you could uh, split this song into three different parts. Uh, the first uh, few verses, verses 46 through 49, she's reflecting on God's mercy for herself personally. It's me and my are uh, the pronouns there. And then in verse 50, she's looking at the mercy of God for the future generations. And then in verses 51 through 56, she's reflecting on the mercies of God for Israel and God's people in the past. So in a sense, Mary's looking at the fullness of God's salvation and His mercy for mankind. And this is the worship that is coming out of her mouth. And so my prayer is, is that you'll be humbled by your sin and Savior so that you can worship from the heart and magnify God. Look at point one in your notes. Learn from Mary. True worshipers worship from the heart. Now, just to say a word about learning from Mary, it is not true that Mary was sinless. She was a sinner. We're going to see that right in this text. We don't learn from Mary because she was sinless like we learn from Christ because He was sinless. Mary is an example of heart worship, a sinner worshiping God because she recognizes the mercy she's been given by her Savior. So point one, learn from Mary. True worshipers worship from the heart. Look at verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now this is what they call parallelism. The first line is almost the same as the second line. They're saying the same thing with a little bit different twist. So look at the first line. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. There's the first line. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now the first two words I want to focus on is my soul, she says, magnifies the Lord. This is the word uh, in the Greek. It's psyche. It's your the essence of life in terms of thinking, will, willing, and feeling. It's the inner self. It's the mind, the thoughts, the feelings, the heart, the very being of a person. So Mary says, my soul from the inmost part of me, of my thinking, of who I am as a human being, magnifies the Lord. True worship comes from the heart. Look at the second line. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now my spirit there, it's lowercase s. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the inmost being of a human being. We're not supposed to look at soul and spirit here and try to figure out how they're different. 
They're parallels. They're talking about the same thing. Mary is worshiping God from her soul, from her spirit. It's sincere. It's from her heart. This is what the Scriptures teach about true worship. In John chapter 4, verse 23, He says this, Jesus says, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus taught God-seeking worshipers that don't worship from the outside of religious practices, but worship from inside their heart according to the truth that they know. In Ephesians 5.6, here's how Paul says it. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants, that means slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. There's two ways you can worship. There's two ways you can obey. You can worship as a way to be people pleasers, to in a sense look good to the outside eye, but that is not what the Scripture calls for. God cares about your heart. God cares and loves only one type of worship, And that's the worship that comes from inside a person. The other type of worship brings benefit and exalts the worshiper. If you do it for eye service, if you do it so other people see the good things you do, then actually you're not worshiping God. You're putting yourself on display to worship. But we can fool ourselves. I can do this, and you can do this. You can care more about how other people see you than whether or not your heart is sincere before God. In Hosea chapter 7, verse 14, we see uh, the prophet call out Israel as they're not worshiping from the heart. He says this, They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine. They gash themselves. They rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. Isn't that interesting? He says, they don't cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. (laughs) So false worship can even be emotional and and be pleading out, but what Israel was doing is they were emotional. They were wailing on their beds, but what were they wailing for? They were gashing themselves. That's how people worship Baal, to get wine and money and good things. We can be like this. 
We can wail and we can cry and we can be saying religious things and we can even be praying, but what we're wailing for can be something other than God. God isn't enough. True worship finds satisfaction in God and comes from the heart. In Isaiah 29, 13, Isaiah says, And the Lord said, Because people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Israel were good at drawing near with their mouth, but their hearts were often far from God. This can be true of us. How often, when your heart is cold, do your words match your heart? No, you still sing the songs. You still say the right words and you tell your friends the right thing. We don't always say what our heart really feels. And so I just challenge you to learn from Mary's worship as she... uh, Worships from the heart. And then here's, here's what it says in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. That word magnify is to praise a person in terms of that person's greatness, their individual greatness in and of themselves. And so she magnifies God. John Piper talks about this word. Uh, if Mary's magnifying God... There's two types of magnification. There's microscopes and there's telescopes. And what Mary isn't saying is, I got to be a microscope to make this little bitty God look bigger than it really is. But no, Mary is like a telescope. She's magnifying God. A star might look small, but it's really big. You look through the magnification and you go, whoa, Look at the moon. It looks so much bigger if you're looking at a moon and it's magnified. As Mary worships from the heart, anyone else that would be observing this heart worship would be going, whoa, God is like that? Who is this God? This God must be great if this is how she worships Him. And then in the second line, uh, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Rejoices to experience a state of great joy and gladness. Uh, The idea is to be extremely joyful, to be overjoyed. More joy than what you can contain. So as Elizabeth just explodes with praise, as we, as we looked at last week, for what God has done in Mary's womb. Now Mary is magnifying the Lord from her inmost being and rejoicing over... What, what, what does uh, she say there? She says, in God my Savior. Now that word Savior is really important. Because we know that this worship is coming from a person that knows they need to be saved. 
Mary needed a Savior and her heart rejoices, overflows. She magnifies Him as she worships and she rejoices in Him. Look at point two. Let's learn from Mary. True worshipers are humbled and self-informed. If we're going to worship like Mary, if we're going to be true worshipers, then we'll have to see who we really are. Look at what it says. For He, why is she magnifying God, the Lord? Why is she magnifying God, her Savior? For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed or graced. Leon Morris says, My Savior shows that Mary recognized her need. She was a sinner like other people. For He's looked on my humble estate of His servant. That word servant's the strongest word for Uh, a slave. It's a bond slave. He's looked at me. Lowly old me. His bond slave. He's looked on mercy on me. That's Mary's mindset. That's what's bringing about this true worship. Uh, She says that all generations will see the grace given to her will be in awe that God would put the Son of God inside a sinful woman's stomach. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We, we do look at this and say, God, what grace You've given this woman. Mary's an example of a true worshiper of God from the heart. And you would... Uh, if you were around her, you would be wondering about the, this uh, amazing God she has. But yet, there's other Christians, and, and I'll even say here, uh, so-called Christians. There's really two groups of people in this room right now. There is those who truly are saved and love God. They're true worshipers but their worship is still not perfect. We're waiting for the day. One of the great things about heaven is we're going to worship Him perfectly. It's not just that we're not going to have sin, but we're going to respond the way we ought to respond to God. So for us as Christians, there's all of us who are putting to death a false type of worship that can come out of our heart, a pharisaical type of worship. And then there's Pharisees. In a group this big, we, I'm sure we have both. Everybody's saying words. Everyone's worshiping God. Some are coming from a sincere heart and others are simply pharisaical. Pharisees didn't go off the face of the earth when Jesus ascended into heaven. And what I want to say to you, I don't want to burden you as we look at the difference between Mary's worship Here's a sinner worshiping from a sincere heart. And all throughout Luke, we have uh, examples of Pharisees who are worshiping from the wrong heart. I just want you to know, you will recognize as a believer 
parts of your worship that you're ashamed of and that you want to see changed. And for those who have never truly worshipped from the heart, I pray that God would break into your stony heart this morning, that you would love your soul enough to tremble over what Luke says throughout this book. And so she's an example of a true worshiper who sees herself accurately. At least to some degree, she recognizes how sinful she is. And every true worshiper knows who they are. Um, in fact, if we were going to do the rest of the song, verses 51 through 52, uh, we see the other side of this, in case you're wondering if there's warrant to look at both sides. In verse 51, he shone strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. The song has this vibe of the proud people who think they're good are going to be brought down. But those who see themselves clearly needing a Savior are going to be raised up. If you're in Luke, I want you to turn to chapter 11 verse 37. And as we consider Mary's humble estate as a worshiper of God, I want to look at the other side of the coin and see what false worship looks like. Luke 11, starting in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking... So Jesus is teaching, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Now we're going to find out here real quick that you got to be careful if you ask Jesus to dine with you. He might ask some difficult questions to you. So he asked Jesus to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at, at table. The Pharisee was astonished, in a sense was utterly shocked to see that he didn't, did not first wash before dinner. Now, a Pharisee would be horrified by this because if Jesus eats with unclean hands, that filth is going to get inside him. And any good teacher knows that you're made dirty from the outside going to the inside, right? No, Jesus actually views things exactly the opposite. He was astonished, though, that Jesus didn't wash his hands. The Lord said to him, now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms as those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus says if the inside is clean, then the other stuff will be clean too. God cares about the inward and then he says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue in every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Now here's the thing. False worshipers are miserable to be around. You don't want to hang out with them. You don't hang out with them and say, whoa, I want their God. You're like, man, these people aren't loving. 
<laughs> they're unfair. They seem to hold other people to these rules and they themselves don't even keep those rules. So rather than magnifying God, false worshipers lack the love of God. And then he says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. They're proud. They love people to see how great they are. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing it. They run into you and they like fall into this ugly mess. And one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. I mean, we invite you to our house to have dinner. Don't you realize that what you're saying is insulting to us? And he said, woe to you lawyers also. Ooh, he's up in the ante here. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And then look down at verse 53. And as he went away from there, get the picture here, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things and lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. You see, these false worshipers love to talk about God. They love to ask religious questions. But they're not doing it out of love. They're doing it to catch you. They're doing it to trick you. They're not doing it out of the sincerity of their heart. And this is what the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes were like. And we get another good example in Luke 18, starting in verse 10. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. Luke 18, verse 10. This is a familiar story, but I just pray that it uh, hits you anew. Two men w went up to the temple to pray, both of them religious, obviously. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, both tax collectors and Pharisees pray. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He doesn't see himself. He doesn't think he's an adulterer. He doesn't realize that when he looks with lust at a woman, he's committing adultery in his heart. He only sees the good side of himself. But then, in verse 13, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. You know why? Because he knew his sin. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now here's what we just heard from Elizabeth. Elizabeth just told Mary that she is blessed, that she is exalted because she believed God, because she trusted in God, her Savior. The person 
Mary's lifted up. All generations will look at her, not because she was sinless, but because she believed that she was carrying the Savior in her womb. Because she trusted God for salvation. So the humble Mary will be exalted and the proud will be pressed down. I want to show you one more in Luke chapter 7. And this is really key. Starting in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Like I said, that's a dangerous thing to do. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now you might want to ask yourself, why is she weeping? She, this woman knows who she is. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but the time I came in, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Here's the point. If you want to be a true worshiper of God, you have to take a clear look with the Scripture at who you are. If you see how short you fall. Then when you come to the Savior, you'll worship Him. You will love Him. If you came in here with a heart that feels hard or cold, get this point. If you want true worship from the heart, quit fooling yourself about who you are because of your outward acts of religion and be honest with the fact that you need a Savior just like Mary needed a Savior. Let's look at the last point. Point three, learn from Mary. True worshipers are awed that uh, that the Holy God would save them. Here's the thing. They're opposite sides. True worship happens 
when a person realizes my sin is so vast and pervasive and God is so holy and righteous. This is the shocker. This is the absolute shocker. Look at what she says. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. That's how you're supposed to read these words. She's humbled by her low estate, but he who is mighty. You want to know what mighty means? It means he who is able. Literally, that's a literal translation. He who is able has done great things for me. Who can do great things for a sinner? Who can help him? Only God is able. We were just taught, I think back in verse 37, that nothing is impossible with God. Only the mighty God, only He who is able can do great things for Mary. What are these great things? Well, there's at least two that we see in this text. She is humbled because in light of her sinfulness and insignificance, she thinks about the fact that God did this seemingly impossible thing. Though she's a virgin, she's now pregnant with the Son of God, her Savior. Now, what an amazing miracle. Only a mighty God, only an able God can do that. And Mary's worshiping from the inmost part of her heart. I'm sure, just going, why me? 12, 13-year-old girl, insignificant, my Savior's in my womb. But you want to know why I think she's worshiping? Even more than that. She says, and holy is His name. Here's the problem of the whole Bible. The Bible puts forth a holy God, perfectly righteous. No sin can ever enter His presence. Here's how the prophet Isaiah says it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or His ear dull that He cannot hear. He's able, Israel, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Here's the problem. The problem is God is holy. When it says His name is holy, that means He's holy. God is holy and Mary is a sinner. But in her womb is the God-man. The one who is going to save her from her sins. It's the problem no other religion can solve. You either have God saying, yeah, you sin, but it's not that bad and I'm going to let you in if you try to be, if you do pretty good. That's every other religion on the face of the earth. Christianity is the only religion that lets you take a true look at yourself, admit you fall short of the glory of God, you're more of a sinner than anyone even knows, even yourself. Charles Spurgeon said, no, nobody can uh, critique me well enough. I'm worse than in, any of my worst enemies accuse me of. That's all of us. Christianity says you can look at yourself, admit the ugliness of your sin. But Christ lived the life you could never live. 
He went to the cross. He paid the price that you would have had to pay. And if you trust in Him, He bore the wrath of God so that a sinner now can be brought into the presence of God because all their sins are washed away, paid for by the blood of Christ. And not only that, Jesus' perfect life you and I could never live is given to us so that the holy God of the universe can be our Savior. Our God is holy and He can save. Any other religion? If you're going to take people with you to heaven, He gives away His holiness. He gives away His justice in order to save. But our God who is able does what seems impossible. He puts the Son of God in a virgin's womb. He's truly man and truly God. Dies on the cross so that sinners can worship and magnify God for what He has done. Do you believe that God is able to save even you? Even even you? The God who knows everything you've done in secret? He judges not only thoughts, or not only actions, but our thoughts? Can God save even you? Is He able? Is He mighty? Mary had faith and believed God's Word that Jesus Christ can save us. I just want to take a peek ahead at the next verse we're going to look at next time. Look at verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him are in awe of Him, His holiness, from what? Generation to generation. You want to know something? The mercy Mary received, Mary knew. She looked ahead and said, generation after generation after generation after me, this child in my womb has mercy for you. Isn't that amazing? She looks ahead. She's worshiping God saying, God, you saved me, a sinner. Humble me. Who? And she's not saying humble in the good sense. She's saying, because she's saying, God, my Savior. She recognizes her sin. Also sees that this Christ will save even you. I want to end with this. Let's just admit, we're all waiting for the day when our worship will be perfect. One day we'll worship God absolutely perfectly. We will never feel like 50%. I don't know if I've ever felt like 80%. I'm sickened by the dullness of heart I have so often. But here's what I know. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because, now get this, we will see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Here's why we will be perfect one day. Because we will see Christ perfectly. When we see Him clearly, we will not sin anymore. 
So on that day when Jesus Christ comes, you and I aren't going to see through a glass dimly anymore, but we're going to see face-to-face. And when you see face-to-face God, you, you know what else you're going to see? You're going to see how sinful you are even more. But when those two things happen, worship comes out of the heart of sinners saved by grace. So my prayer is is that you can look with honesty into your heart. Look at the Scripture and say, this is who I am, but look at my great God who can save me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You so much for this example Mary gives us of a woman who is worshiping from her inmost being, putting on display her wonder at Your majesty. Father, I pray that our lives would be like this, that we would be humble, that we would be loving, that people would be around us and say, I need to be. I need to know that God that we know. Father, if there's anyone in here that's concerned for their soul, maybe it's become clear to them that they've never worshipped from the heart. Lord, I pray that You would even let them know that Christ is a Savior even of those who are self-righteous, those who will be humbled, admit their sin, confess their sin, can turn to You as a Savior. Father, I pray that You would break down our hearts. Eternity is too long, Lord. Let no one play with their soul this morning. Lord, I pray they would cling to You as their only hope for salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen.